What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. everybody welcome back to another episode of Murph's boston sports talk welcome to friday's edition hopefully you had a wonderful week the weather has been very cold this past week and it is raining and it's even snowing in some parts here in new england so holy crap i thought spring was here but winter was like whoa there boy i'm still here so everybody, please be careful out there if it is raining or snowing. We've had a past couple days of some serious inclement weather, so hopefully you are braced up for that. But we do have a lot to talk about in this episode. But first, like I said, thank you everybody so much for uh, downloading, listening, and enjoying. And I really hope you enjoy this episode because we have a lot of stuff to go into. And yes, we will be talking about the mock draft Um or just the draft in general, I should say, including the Patriots. And I really dove deep into the draft, you know, in my spare time to bring you terrific content for this episode because I promised, I promised, and I delivered Patriots draft news because the draft is Thursday, April 29th. We are 13 days away from round one of the 2021 NFL draft. And it is a blaze of, of stories, news, headlines, details, topics, whatever. And I want to make sure I bring everything I possibly can to you, the listener, as we get closer and closer to April 29th. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about it because, you know, a lot of this episode will be dedicated to the draft. But let me just tell you, I learned a thing or two by doing some mock drafts. And like I said, I'll get into it, but wow, wow, you know, it's just... You kind of have a sense of the draft and, you know, where, you know, the Patriots or other teams may be at in terms of their roster and what they can get in certain positions in the draft in terms of rounds or picks. 
But once you actually dive deep into it and you kind of finagle with some of the picks in terms of trading or just selecting, it gets nuts. <laughs> it gets pretty freaking nuts. But first, as always, I do kind of want to brush over the other uh, Boston sports news in terms of the Red Sox, the Bruins, and the Celtics. So as always, um, I do want to go over those because there are important headlines from all three of those other teams that I want to discuss before before I dive into this episode. But before we go any further, I do kind of want to plug my Amazon affiliate links down below in the description if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on audio-only platforms. If you go over to YouTube and click the description, scroll down a little bit, you will see my Amazon affiliate links. I try to post them on social media once a week or every so often just to kind of keep it recent in my feed. But those Amazon affiliate links really help out both the channel and the podcast because at to no extra cost to you, uh, whatever you purchase on Amazon within 24 hours of simply clicking my link and accessing Amazon through my link, a small percentage goes back to me. And like I said, no extra cost to you, but it greatly helps out both the channel and the podcast as well. You don't have to buy whatever's on the link. So I have my vlogging camera, my computer, my microphone. And if you don't want any of those, that's okay. Just click on the link. It'll bring you to the item. And then you can just go right into the Amazon search bar and search for whatever your heart desires. And you can buy whatever your heart desires. And like I said, whatever the total is that you are purchasing on Amazon, a small percentage will go back to me to no extra cost to you. So if you could please use my Amazon affiliate links, that would be greatly appreciated. And like I said, it would be super helpful. That's no extra cost to you. I want to give a massive shout out to everyone who has either clicked the link simply enough or who have actually bought something using my Amazon affiliate links who have helped out the channel and the podcast. Thank you so much. I don't want to name names because that list is growing rapidly day by day. So thank you again. You know who you are and it is very appreciated by myself. But let's get into some quick hits. Quick hits. So really quickly, the probably the one that I'm going to talk the least about is the Boston Red Sox. I do have to mention that their nine-game winning streak, nine games, was snapped yesterday with a 4-3 to walk-off loss to the Minnesota Twins after a crazy game. So Michael Pineda was shutting down the Red Sox left and right, and they and the Sox were finally able to get him out of the game in the eighth inning. He was relieved by um, Hanser Robles, I believe, by the Twins. Bases juiced, two outs. Verdugo comes to the plate. They uh, the Twins bring in Taylor Rogers, so it's a lefty on lefty matchup. Verdugo what was a nine ten pitch at bat or whatever, fighting off pitches, taking close calls. Next thing you know, he gets an outside pitch, and he just slaps it into left field. All three runs score. Game-tying three-run double by Alex Verdugo to essentially force the game into... Did it go into extra innings? No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It just went into the ninth inning. The uh, bottom of the ninth comes up. Twins go on to win. Uh, Very disappointing. Very uh, shitty. But, you know, it is what it is. Sox were able to go on a nine-game winning streak after losing their first three games of the season, which not many teams have been able to do. I, I saw a fact somewhere that that the Red Sox were, like, the only team to do so or first team in a long, long, long time to do so. But nonetheless, winning streak was going to come to an end at some point, but at least we were able to enjoy it. 
taking the series in Minnesota. And we're on to the White Sox back home uh, as they play today at 7-10, weather depending. Moving on to the ice, we had the Bruins versus the Islanders last night at the Garden where the Bruins were able to beat the New York Islanders 4-1. I was able to watch that whole game and it was awesome. Uh, surprise, Tuka Rask was able to get the start as he comes back from injury to play in what I mentioned uh, a few times beforehand that this was a critical game, uh, critical set of games. Yesterday's game, tonight's game against the Islanders, and then Sunday's game against the Capitals. Tuca uh, got the start. We'll probably see Swayman in tonight, but it was good to see Tuca back. It looked like he never missed a beat, and he looked really, really sharp in net. You know, being a brick wall that we know and love from Tuca, and sometimes we see the puddly version of him where he just pukes on himself. But that Tuca was nowhere to be found last night, which was very, very comforting to see, especially after an extended period of time off. Uh, early in the first period, the Bruins were able to jump out to a 2-0 lead um, from goals with, from Brad Marchand and Craig Smith. Again, he has 16 points in his last 14 games. That's over a point per game average. Absolutely incredible. And throughout the rest of the night, we saw another goal from Brad Marchand, which was an empty netter. But I do want to talk about the third goal the Bruins scored, which was by Taylor Hall. Yes, he scores his first goal as a Boston Bruins, his third overall this season. But Taylor Hall nets his first goal versus the New York Islanders on a nifty little play. It wasn't necessarily a breakaway, but good little lead pass. It was him, defender. He kind of gets around the defender and was able to net the puck. Uh, ex- exceptional play and exactly what we brought Taylor Hall in here to do. So it was really good to see him start to mold and get comfortable being on that second line as well as um, Curtis Lazar. He didn't score or get anything. I don't think. Let me check. Points, points. Uh, where is his name? Curtis Lazar. No, he didn't get any points. He had one shot on goal. But Mike Riley, though, I mean, he... The other acquisition that the Bruins brought in at the trade deadline played exceptionally well as well. Uh, Exceptionally well as well. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. But he gets an assist on one of the goals, resulting in one point for him. But he was just really that big body, stiff guy on defense that can really shut down the, uh, the defensive zone for the opposing team. I believe he was on... Oh, whose line was he on? I remember seeing... Was it Lausanne? I think he was playing with Lausanne. Um, I could be wrong, but whenever he was out there, you could see that big body presence that I feel like the Bruins have been missing out on, and it was good to kind of see that uh, daunting figure back there in the defensive end, which is something obviously with Zdeno Chara no longer here, is something that we've been lacking as we've pushed forward with a younger defensive core. So him coming in to kind of give you that big body presence, like I mentioned, was definitely something that was very noticeable last night. And also in the other game, or his first game, I should say, against the Sabres. Um, it was a great start to a massive three-game set of games that I've been talking about for the Boston Bruins, how they need to win. It would be nice if they can win all three of them, but I do think that's a tall task to ask, especially with a back-to-back being the second game tonight versus the Islanders and then another one against the Washington Capitals. But I did say Bruins need to win two out of three games on that West Coast swing that they had, which I'll talk about in a second. And they were able to sweep that West Coast uh, swing of games. So anything is really possible, I guess, especially in terms of Boston sports. 
you never freaking know. And then lastly, I want to close out with this point um, for the Bruins is that with this win tonight, um, Tuka Rask earned his 300th career win in net. So congratulations to Tuka Rask, whether you love him or you hate him. An absolute incredible accomplishment and well-deserving nonetheless. I believe he is in sole possession of 26th all-time in the NHL um, for career wins. So absolutely huge milestone. And whatever happens at the end of this year in terms of Tuka coming back, resigning, or you know leaving for another team, 300-plus uh, wins you know by then, absolutely insane. So awesome milestone, especially in a huge pivotal moment like last night's game was for not only him but the team in general. So hopefully they 4-1 win last night. That can give us a little bit of momentum to crawl back into the Eastern Conference as we look at the standings really quickly, really quickly. You're only six points behind the Islanders. Only six points behind the Islanders. Come on, keep it going. You're six, three, and one in your last ten, and oh man, you just gotta keep pushing because the Rangers—they're starting to look legit as a threat in the Eastern um, Eastern Conference, Eastern Division, excuse me. Um, as they're six, two, and two in their last ten games. But you know, if we just kind of peek to the top of the ladder board where the Capitals are at, they're five and five in their last ten games. So you win tonight against the Islanders, you win then Sunday against the Capitals. You know, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. So we just got to keep hoping and praying that the Bruins can play their best hockey this weekend. But like I alluded to, let's talk about the Celtics and their swing of games that they had um, over the past week or so. And it concluded, the three-game West Coast trip concluded last night in Los Angeles playing the Los Angeles Lakers where they actually beat them 121 to 113. Uh, Without LeBron and Anthony Davis, which I'll mention in a second, this was a must-win game. I mean, this the Lakers, besides without, <clears throat> excuse me, without LeBron and Anthony Davis, this, they're still a great team, not the best team, obviously, but I mean, it's still a winnable game for the Celtics, and they did, they won, and they've now won five games in a row, and they completed that three-game West Coast. Uh, stretch of games that I was talking about as they beat the Nuggets, Blazers, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Crucial, crucial set of games to really put the Bruins back into the heat of things. Uh, I told I, I wanted them to just win two out of three games, but they were able to win three out of three, which was awesome. And now the Celtics have moved into a tie for the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference with the Atlanta Hawks at eight and a half games back from uh, the Eastern Conference lead. And they're only five and a half games back from the Milwaukee Bucks for the third seed. I don't think the third seed is possible, even though that you know gap is starting to shrink just a little bit. You got to be focused on taking sole possession of fourth, uh, the fourth seed right now, and then you can kind of figure things out later on. Because at the end of the day, you're only two games out from being the eighth seed. I mean, you have a two-game lead on the Hornets, who are now ten and a half games back from first place, who were recently, <clears throat> who were recently the fourth seed for a while but now have fallen to the 8th seed, and that just shows you the pivotal uh, momentum shift that the Eastern Conference pretty much faces every single day, except for the top three teams. Uh, the Hawks have kind of been you know, that 4-5 seed for a while, but the Hornets were just the 4 seed. Now they're down. Celtics were that 4-5 seed for a while. They were down for a while, crept back up slowly. 
Um, the Knicks and the Heat, you know, they're kind of holding their own towards the bottom of the pack, but the Knicks, they're only a game behind you and the Hawks for that fourth and fifth seed, respectively. So really, anything is possible in this Eastern Conference. That's why the those games on the West Coast were crucial, because now you come back home to play the Warriors tomorrow, who are red hot in their own um, respect, even though they're half game out from the playoff picture in the Western Conference. But like I said, you have the Warriors tomorrow, you got the Bulls on Monday, the Suns on Thursday, and then you go to Brooklyn to play the Knicks, uh, I'm sorry, the Nets, excuse me, on Friday. But we'll talk more about that next week after the weekend and see how they play against the Warriors because I do kind of want to spend a lot of time talking about the Patriots, but I do have a few more points about the Celtics that I want to get to. So as I alluded to, um, the Lakers were without LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which was expected. Of course, both of them are dealing with their own injuries. LeBron James' timetable to return is not really sure. I mean, hopefully soon. You really don't want to see your league's best player out for too long because, you know, he's getting up there in age, and whether you love him or you hate him, you have to respect him. And it would have been nice if that one of them were on the court last night for this game against the Lakers because a lot of people are going to say, like, oh, it was a fake win. They didn't have LeBron or Ant Davis. Uh, whatever. A win's a win in my book, really. Um, uh, Jalen Brown, 40 points in 32 minutes with nine rebounds to uh, go with that. Absolutely exceptional performance on a primetime stage, which was really nice to see, especially with Jason Tatum only, only scoring 14 points in 28 minutes himself. So it was nice to see Brown pick up the slack where Tatum wasn't as effective or efficient last night. And I have to say, I have to say, this will be a crucial, crucial factor for the Celtics if they want to be successful, is that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum being able to play great together or one being able to pick up the other's slack if that one is having an off night. So last night was the perfect example. Tatum was only able to score 14 points for whatever reason, but Brown was able to pick up the slack and drop 40 and to help deliver the Celtics a win. Um, the night... The overtime game against the Timberwolves last week, Tatum dropped 53. Uh, how many points did Brown get that night? Uh, Brown got 26, so it's not like he had an off night himself, but you know the point stays the same. If one's not able to perform, you'd like to see the other one kind of pick up the slack and do more than what they're expected to do, and Brown being able to do that was a perfect, perfect example. Uh, the Celtics, over the course of the game, ha- had command of the game throughout but the Lakers did make a strong push and a strong surge in the second half to somewhat come back and making a reasonable game it was a double uh, double digit lead for the Celtics for the majority of the game especially in the second half but like I said the Lakers did make a strong push they were trying to get closer and closer in order to force you know the Celtics to really kind of buckle down although the Celtics only won by eight I mean it was a good good win nonetheless. You definitely would have liked them to uh, win by double digits because of the command that they presented throughout the majority of the game. But nonetheless, like I said, I will take the win. I'm not going to bitch and complain about a win against the Lakers in Los Angeles. But, whew, the Lakers did give me a little scare there. They did give me a little scare. So quickly, before I go into the Patriots draft, which I'm going to talk about right in a few seconds, but I just want to kind of briefly... Go over what we just talked about. Sox nine-game uh, winning streak snapped with a 4-3 walk-off loss to the Minnesota Twins. 
Uh, Bruins defeated the Islanders 4-1 to in Boston on the first night of a back-to-back against those Islanders. Tuca gets his 300th career win in net with his first start back from injury. And the Celtics beat the Lakers 121-113 in L.A. as they are now on a five-game winning streak. Things are kind of pointing. I mean, though the Red Sox did lose, things are kind of pointing up here in Boston with spring coming. A lot of stuff is happening, and I say this every damn episode because it's so, so true. Celtics, heat of the season. Bruins, heat of the season. Red Sox, their season just started, but so much is going on right now in baseball, let me tell you. And then the Patriots and the draft. That's coming up. And once the draft's kind of over with, there's going to be so much draft stuff to break down and such of players they traded, players they passed up on, trades they made, yada, yada, yada. But before we can get there, we need to have the draft. And before we have the draft, we got to talk about the Patriots in my mock draft that I did as the New England Patriots. So what I spent all day doing yesterday was completing 10 mock drafts on the Pro Football Focused website. Now, they're a great resource and tool to dive into the draft, dive into players, whether they're college or professional. Um, In terms of NFL teams, they got a ton of stats, facts, and all that good stuff over there. I'm not plugging them. I'm just letting you know that they're a very credible source, and I was able to take advantage of their software and really kind of bring you the content and the information that I wanted to do. So, like I said, I did 10 mock drafts. Each mock draft, I don't know, it took like 10 minutes or so, so it wasn't really all too much time. But it was a, t- a time investment, don't get me wrong. And in those 10 drafts, I received a letter grade post each draft for how I did. And within each draft, I got a letter grade for each pick and for each trade as I was able to conduct trades. I'll go over more about my takeaway notes later on in terms of trades and all that good stuff. But I just want to briefly go over each of the 10 Uh, drafts that I had in the letter grades I was received so in draft number one I got a grade of A draft number two B draft number three B plus number four A five B plus six A minus seven A eight A minus draft number nine A and draft number ten ten so what I did I took the liberty of doing is breaking each of those letter grades into numerical points so I put it on a numerical uh, number of five so it was a five point scale where an A plus would be a five A would be 4.5 A minus four B plus 3.5 B and you get the picture right so after breaking down and putting numbers on all of my draft grades so like I said number one got an A number two B I was able to walk away with a average of 4.05 out of 5 for my 10 mock drafts now in perspective that is slightly above an a minus which i will 100 percent take and walk away with proudly so i will go over each of the 10 mock drafts and i will kind of break them down in terms of trades i was able to make the players i selected and the grades i got for each player you know like i kind of mentioned before but i do want to kind of go over way go over <laughs> go over a few takeaways and notes that I have about the mock draft segment session that I was able to do. So first point is I tried to be aggressive with the trades moving up and moving down just about everywhere in the draft, whether it was the first round, second round, third round, whatever round. 
I really try to put my myself in Bill Belichick's shoes because on draft days, he does like to move, maneuver, whether it is moving up or moving down, you know, trying to get a collection of uh, assets to either move up again in the draft and kind of keep some for himself or just, you know, simply moving on from whatever because he doesn't like a player at a certain position. So I was really able to do that, and I tried to do that a lot throughout the draft. Um, I was able to consistently find quarterbacks in the second or third round that would be nice potential quarterbacks uh, for the Patriots if the Patriots were to select them in said rounds. But I do have to say, the top five quarterbacks in the draft, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Trey Lance, all went in the top ten frequently. Frequently. Once every couple of drafts that I had, Jones or Lance would slip to the Patriots at 15 where I had a decision to make. I will say, Mac Jones did slip to 19 in two different drafts. And at 19, that's where the Washington football team is selecting, where it would make a lot of sense if you know a quarterback did slip to them and they would scoop one up, especially a quote-unquote smart decision-making quarterback like Mac Jones is, would be a good fit down there. But like I said, and we'll see in the, in the drafts that I did, you know, uh, Mac Jones and Trey Lance both slipped. So keep that in mind come draft day because a lot of people are saying, you know, five quarterbacks, top eight picks, top ten picks, which is absolutely possible. Not going to deny it. But, I mean, we saw Jordan Love last year who was, you know, projected, you know, top ten, top fifteen. He slipped all the way down to 26 or 7, I believe it was, to the Packers. So anything is possible on draft day where teams are trying to get to fill their needs and not necessarily the uh, best prospect, per se. Um, I was consistently able to find linebackers throughout rounds 2 to 5 if I wasn't able to take Micah Parsons in the first round. Um, a lot of mock, mock drafts and a lot of people think Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, will fall to the Patriots at 15. I'm a firm believer in that myself. And if he was there, I was oftentimes able to take him. I don't think I passed up on him. Maybe once, I don't remember. Uh, actually, no, I don't think I did pass up on him at all now that I think of it. But anyways, if I wasn't able to get him because I think one draft he was like taken like fourth and then there was like seventh and ninth where it's kind of more reasonable. I was able to kind of find linebackers in rounds two to five, especially in those two and three rounds, you know, to kind of fill that that need the Patriots have at linebacker if um, I wasn't able to take Micah Parsons. Um, I wasn't a fan of what was available for the position in the later rounds, so like six and seven. It felt like it was really, really thin there. So what I was really able to do and once I kind of noticed that trend was really kind of take one early so I didn't have to worry about it later where my options were not really good at all, where at that point in the draft, it's cluttered by uh, defensive backs, running backs, D-linemen, maybe wide receivers that aren't too good. So definitely something that I was able to kind of keep note of in my mind. Uh, Let's see, next point. There was good depth, speaking of defensive backs, there was good depth of defensive backs in the mid to late rounds. Uh, I know I kind of mentioned that, that there were a bunch of them there, and that's true. Um... I saw a couple times that a projected or ranked like 46, 7th prospect was like in the 5th round, sometimes in the 6th round. It's like, what are you doing over here? So mid-round uh, mid defensive backs were available in deeper rounds, which was very nice to see. And like I mentioned, that 46th rank, I forget his name. I think I took him a couple times. If I see it, I'll kind of mention it. It was in the, you know, that mid-round area pushing back the mid-round mid 
defensive backs that were supposed to be projected to go in the mid-rounds later, um, which was a ple- pleasant surprise because Patriots are going to potentially fill two needs at cornerback depending on what happens with J.C. Jackson and if the Patriots decide to move on from Stephon Gilmore, which, you know, the thing with J.C. Jackson will hopefully be decided very shortly where he comes back to New England, and I don't think the Patriots will trade Gilmore, but he might get, uh, at least trade him now, but he might be on the move come the trade deadline. Just don't know. We have to see where the team is at and, you know, kind of see where Gilmore is at in terms of a potential extension with the Patriots. So I did try to keep that in mind because more likely than not, we're going to need to fill a need, especially with uh, Jason McCourty no longer on the team. Jonathan Jones is just slot corner and then JC Jackson may not be returning, which is very possible. Uh, besides those that are going to be projected in the first round, there's no... Oh, wait, I skipped something. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was able to receive high grades on D linemen and edge rushers in later rounds to fill the depth at that position. So the Patriots did do a good job this offseason filling that need uh, with their free agent acquisitions. But there's still a depth need to be filled there because you need depth. You know, the opposing offense goes on a long 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 play drive. You're going to have to rotate bodies for different schemes, different lineups, whatever it may be. I think the Patriots are very thin, and, you know, depth-wise. The front seven still. So I was able to get good D-linemen and edge rushers in the later rounds, which was nice to see. Besides those that are going to be, or I should say projected to go in the first round, there was really no need to take a defensive lineman in the early rounds like you know second or third round because like I said there was good depth there in the later rounds even in the mid rounds like you know four and five I think four is kind of a stretch as well unless your team has a blaring need the Patriots don't have that blaring need so that's why I'm thinking five six or even seven Uh, but I feel like five or six is that good little um, middle ground to go take a depth of defensive lineman there because like I did mention and you'll see in the mock drafts that I was able to get a lot of good depth fillers down there and receive high grades for those players that I was able to take. Um, I alluded to this earlier, like I mentioned, the trading. Um, so it was just me in control of the Patriots among the 20, uh, I'm sorry, the 31 other teams being controlled by the computer or the CPU. And trading with the CPU seemed very realistic, or at least realistic enough for trades to work. Uh, trades weren't too easy to make, nor did they seem too hard to make. Um, I felt that I was able to get future draft picks for this year's pick very easily, though. So it was a weird little little counterbalance there. But however, same-year draft pick trading felt very, very fair. I was able to move up by giving up this year's draft picks. Um, I don't want to say easily, but fairly. So, you know, I want your pick that's 20 picks ahead of me. I'll give you that, you know, a draft pick and another to move up and switch. And I feel like I was able to do that with ease and also you know trying to keep in mind you know the Patriots in future drafts when I was moving down to you know kind of look ahead uh, look ahead and get future picks for the following drafts that I was able to because the Patriots did go out and sign a bunch of guys so is there a bunch is there a need to go out and draft a bunch of prospects when you have last year's draft class and then whoever you selected this year's draft class and then those that you're bringing in a free agency those that are coming back from injury so all those things you need to keep in mind. I don't mind the Patriots trading out of certain draft picks later in the draft to kind of push them for next year. So for example, you take a six-round pick, you trade it for a five and a seven or whatever. It's just stuff like that is you know things that I also try to keep in mind 
as I was making trades as well. Um, to my awareness or my knowledge, there was no computer-to-computer -computer trades. Now, there could have been, and I just didn't notice. But from my um, awareness, there was no CPU-to-CPU -CPU trades, which was... I guess fair and did it really matter if they did? I don't think so, but I think in terms of realism, it was good to see that they didn't make those trades because if the computer was to go on and make trades, I think it would just get really stupid and bizarre where, I don't know, the, the Chiefs trade up to get the number four pick in the draft. Like, that's not realistic. You know, and I tried to really keep this as realistic as possible from my end. So no computer trades were realistic, I guess, on the computer's end, right? Um, CPU teams were taking what their team's needs were, and they weren't just taking the quote-unquote best available on the board, which is very nice. So throughout the entirety of the draft, there was team needs listed, and um, for the Patriots, it was quarterback, wide receiver, cornerback, which is very, very true. And for other teams, they had you know three, four, five needs, whatever it may be, and those teams were really addressing their needs which was very nice to see so you know say a player dr uh, dropped until like 15 like say Trey Lance dropped to 17 for whatever reason uh let's say 16 because the Cardinals have Kyler Murray and they're not going to move on from him so say Trey Lance dropped to 16 for you know just go with it the Cardinals weren't just going to take Trey Lance in this in these mock draft simulators because their need isn't at quarterback their need is elsewhere so that was really comforting and knowing that it was going to still stick to that realistic type of um, drafting per se that we would see hopefully and potentially in here in the real world but then again on the other side of the coin if Trey Lance was to somehow drop to 16 would the Cardinals pass up on him I don't know you draft him and trade him yeah I mean it's it'd be kind of stupid if he did or you know but hey anything is possible in the NFL draft it really is it really is. But it was nice to see that computer teams were not just taking best available players. They were actually addressing their needs. And speaking of team needs, once you took a player, so for me, you know, if I was to take a quarterback, um, that need wouldn't go away and be replaced with another need or just com completely, you know, crossed off or whatever. Like that need would still be kind of there. So for the Patriots, only have three needs. I can address that in the first three rounds, let's say, but they're still there. So you got to have to know your team and what they need you know, besides just what, you know, PFF is telling me. Um, overall, overall, I was able to venture and enjoy many opportunities for the Patriots to route all seven rounds of my 10 mock drafts. I was really able to further educate myself on what is available at various rounds or various sections of the draft in terms of players and positions. So like I mentioned before, depth D lineman or backup D lineman you can get in the later rounds. Um, there's excuse me, you know, there's some good linebacker depth in the middle rounds and running backs. You can probably find all over the draft, really, wide receivers. There's a good selection of them in the middle rounds, like four, five, six, you know, as you get to the later rounds with six. That's stuff that you need to know and to be able to make good, accurate um, suggestions or, you know, mock drafts like I did. And I was really able to kind of further my knowledge about this so I can give you the proper proper analysis and the proper breakdown as I'm about to go over my 10 mock drafts but if I weren't able to do this and try to have this Patriots draft segment right here it wouldn't go all too well so I'm really glad I was able to take the time to give uh, myself the preparation and the information through 10 mock drafts to give you 
the proper information and knowledge that you need as you listen to this podcast as the 2021 NFL Draft is upon us. Like I mentioned, I will briefly go over my 10 mock drafts. I'm not going to go over every single pick, but I do kind of want to highlight a few players that I was able to get in here. Here, as we look at the first mock draft we have, um, I was able to trade up with the Dallas Cowboys, which a lot of mock drafts you know, out there, ESPN, Yahoo, wherever you want to find your news, kind of has um, this projection between the Cowboys and the Patriots. So I was able to kind of do that. I got an A-plus grade, and I was able to take Trey Lance, quarterback out of North Dakota State. I believe at this time, Mac Jones was taken, so Lance was the only remaining quarterback. And I really feel like, oh, well, if it's not this year, then let's actually move up and go get one. Um, come the second round, I traded my 46 pick. I moved that to the football team. I moved back five picks, getting a couple others. Got a B-plus there, and I was able to take Diami Brown, the wide receiver from North Carolina, addressing that need. Uh, I kind of alluded to this during the week with the Julian Edelman retirement, is that you know Patriots are going to have to dress wide receiver now. They have Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, if you want to even count him. Gunnar Oshleski, if you want to count him too, but I feel like the Patriots might have to go out and actually draft another wide receiver to replace Julian Edelman. Uh, Jamin Davis was a linebacker that I saw frequently, frequently in that mid, uh, he was projected like 54, I think, you know, in terms of player rank, and I was able to get him at overall 74. Um, Other than that, I really have no other takeaways from this first draft. Um, Calvin Joseph, the cornerback from Kentucky with the 88 overall pick, I feel like was a good one. I moved up to get him. I had to move up eight spots to get him with the LA Rams. And I got a C for that uh, trade, which was a little disappointing, but totally understanding if you want to go out and get your player. Moving to the second mock draft. Um, I tried to make a lot of trades where I move up because I was able, I did have you know, a bunch of picks, and I kind of want to push them into the basket and really go out and get players I really, really wanted. Because like I mentioned earlier, Patriots have all these draft picks, but they brought in so many guys. Draft class from last year, people returning from injury, plus the draft class that you have coming in this year. So I really kind of wanted to slim down on the draft um, with this mock draft. And I tried to have different themes in all of them. But I go out and I get Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota. I got a D-plus there. Um, there was no quarterback. There was no Micah Parsons. There was no those big three wide receivers left. So I really wanted to address that need and get Bateman, who is a talented wide receiver out of Minnesota and who will probably go in the top 20. But I got a D-plus here, which is a little disappointing. Um, first pick in the second round at 33, I trade up with the Jaguars. I move up 13 picks. I got a C-plus for that grade, and I drafted Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. Got a B-minus in that pick, um, addressing the cornerback need that we'll more than likely need to address at some point, regardless if J.C. Jackson returns, regardless if Stephon Gilmore is not traded. It's still a need the Patriots need to be on the lookout for. Other than that, uh, here's Jamin Davis again. Uh, I was able to get him at 97 this time, the linebacker from Kentucky addressing that need. But before that, I kind of want to talk about Davis Mills here, quarterback from Stanford. Um, I was able to get him at 54, and I've heard a lot of rumors and a lot of news that you know Stanford you know, is a perfect fit for Bill Belichick being that smart decision-making quarterback. And this is a viable option here too. 
Would I rather have him over Kellen Mund? Probably not. But at this time, I think Mund was gone. Mund went early in this draft, I believe. But still being able to get a B-plus on this draft and the Jamin Davis um, pick, which was like, you know, 20 picks later or something, 10 picks later than the previous one, you know, still good to walk away with. Um, I trade up with the Chargers uh, here in the the end of the third round to go up and get Jamin Davis. I got a C for that trade, which was a little disappointing. Overall, I got a B on this one, which was the lowest out of all of my drafts. A little disappointing, but it is what it is. Moving on to the third one. This one was really interesting because, like I said, this one I really tried to venture in the moving up and the moving down, and I feel like I was able to do a good job here. I was able to get Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, with that 15th overall pick. Got an A for that, obviously. Then I went out and got Kellen Mond, um, the quarterback from Texas A&M that I just talked about. I got a C-plus for this, kind of reaching on him here in the second round at 46. But if he's there at 46, there's absolutely no reason why the Patriots should not take this guy. So take, getting a C-plus on this one is totally okay for me because I feel like this is the most realistic route and probably what a lot of Patriot fans want the Patriots to do is to go out, get Parsons, second round, go out, get Mond, and then maybe address your other needs after that. Um, I got a B-minus on a trade with the Browns where I move up from 120, 197, and a seventh round pick in 2022, and I get 59. Not too sure how I get a B-minus on this pick when I'm moving up basically two full rounds without giving up anything, without giving up a lot. Very questionable um, grading here, but I went out to get Ronnie Perkins, which is Ed Rusher from Oklahoma. And then here we see Jamin Davis, the linebacker from Kentucky, again getting a B-plus where I take him one-tenth overall, actually traded up with the Browns again to get him. And I got a C on this trade where I trade 139 and 188 for 110 to get Jamin Davis there. Uh, overall, I got a B-plus on this draft. Uh, kind of confusing why. I can understand the Jamar Jefferson getting a C plus there. Pages don't really need a running back, but you know you don't know what you're gonna have or do with Sony Michelle moving forward after this year. Rex Burkhead's not back, so just kind of having another running back. Uh, James White is back on a one-year deal, so he might be gone next year. I feel like bringing someone in towards the end of the draft wouldn't be a terrible idea. So I'm not a big fan of this grade right here. Um, getting another cornerback here in the late round, um, Elijah. Olasia Griffin, cornerback from USC, got a C-plus there addressing that need really late in the draft, but I probably should have addressed it earlier, but it is what it is. Didn't like that grade there either. Moving to the fourth draft. This one, this one was really interesting because as you can see, Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida, fell to 15. I don't know about you, but I don't see Kyle Pitts falling to 15 at all. I don't see him falling any further than 10. I really don't. A lot of people love him. His play style, his play uh, skill set, his athleticism, his frame, his body. A lot of people love that from a tight end, period, but also as a receiver as well. So I was able. he was able to fall, like I said, no Parsons, no quarterback, no wide receivers, able to get Kyle Pitts there. Absolutely had to. Uh, I traded the 46th pick in the second round to the Seahawks to get 56. I got a second round in 2022 and a fourth round in 2024. Just like I said, you know, thinking ahead 
like Bill Belichick loves to do. I was able to fleece a second-round pick from the Seahawks, which was you know, a good move for me. I'm only moving 10 spots back, still in the second round. Would you call it fleecing? Probably not. But I got a B-plus for this grade, for this trade, which was very nice. I go out and get Diami Brown again, the wide receiver from UNC. And then I make another trade, uh, this time with the Texans moving up, where I get 67 and I give them 122, 188, and 242 in the seventh round. Got a B-plus for that. Moving up to get Kellen Mond there. Got a B-plus grade for him. This time, as I take him 21 picks later. But is he going to be there 21 picks later? I don't know, and I don't think so. Um, <laughs> mainstay, Jamin Davis, linebacker, Kentucky at 96 again. So I'm really able to see him in the 40s, into the 100s. So going to be really interesting to see where he actually goes in this draft. Because like I said, I've been able to find him kind of all over the place. And then towards the end of this draft, um, I trade 197 to the Raiders for 200 in a third round pick in 2023, and I only get a B plus. I think this is an absolute fleecing of a deal where I only move three spots back late in the draft where I pretty much address all my needs, and I get a third round pick in two years, and I get a B plus. Man, that should have been at least an A. That should have been at least an A grade. But overall, in that this draft, I got an A. Um, really like this draft. Really like this style. I just don't think Helen Mund is going to be there at 67. If you switch Mund with uh, Brown, I would really like that flow of things. You know, Pitts, Mund, Brown, Davis, and then whatever after that. So I really like the flow of this one. <sighs> Number five. Number five. This one, uh, you can you can really see. This one is. Cool. I didn't do good on this one. I really didn't. But let's address it. So I was able to get quarterback Trey Lance from North Dakota State. I got an A-plus for that grade. I really like this pick here, especially the way this style went. Um, the other four quarterbacks were gone. All the wide receivers were gone. Pitts, Parsons, all gone. Really felt like that, you know, Trey Lance falling to my lap at 15 was the way to go. If everyone else is gone at 15 and... I mean, you'll see later, but I took a cornerback there. Didn't get a good grade out of it. So if it's not a quarterback, if it's not a wide receiver, and it's not Micah Parsons, I don't know what the Patriots are going to do at 15. But I get uh, Trey Lance, who's probably going to be the future quarterback of the Patriots, according to this mock draft, after Cam Newton. I got him a weapon, Diami Brown. Got a C-plus this time. I got a C-plus for him. And then Kelvin Joseph, uh, the cornerback from Kentucky. C-plus at 96. Then I make a little funky trade with the New Orleans Saints where I trade 122, 188, and 242 for 98, moving up 26 picks or so in the draft and getting a 7th round pick in return. C-plus for that trade, but I was able to move up and get Jamin Davis. Uh, again, I did five drafts in a row, I get this guy. Uh, I really liked what it said with this report. I really liked... Um, not that Kentucky's a good football school, and I'm not trying to be biased about Kentucky because they're not a football program, nor do I like them for football. But, you know, just what I read about him, really feel like he would fit into the Patriots. Was really able to find him all over the second, third, and fourth rounds. Um, C-plus there is a little disappointing. Milton Williams was this D lineman that I saw frequently in the fourth, fifth, sixth round where, you know, I kind of mentioned you were able to find D lineman. It was him... Someone brown, and then another person that was really there a lot in four, five, six, 
in those rounds. Got a C plus here. Probably took him a little too early. We're at 120. Would like to see him go maybe around the 186 area. But speaking of 186, I get Antonio Nunn, the wide receiver from Buffalo. Got a B plus there. So I take I took two wide receivers in this draft. And in order to get Nunn, I traded the 177 pick. And I traded that to the Jets, and I got 186 back, moving back nine picks. But I also got a 2023 fourth-round pick as well. I got a B for that draft, uh, for that grade. And, again, thinking ahead. And then the last trade that I made is I had 197, and I moved that to Detroit, and I got a fifth-round 2022 back. Again, it goes with the theme of you have all these players you're drafting, players from last year coming back from injury, the players you brought in feel like that was just kind of a, a worthless pick to me at that time just get something for next year where you know the roster is going to look probably completely different again come next year so I got a fifth round pick for that overall I got a B plus with this draft very confused how I did when I had this slew of C pluses um, with pick 46 96 98 whatever um, Trey Lance you know getting an A plus for that grade really loved it and probably carrying that overall B plus grade that I got with this draft so halfway through um, looking at number six looking at number six and I should have touched upon this earlier but if you want to follow along with my mock drafts I'm putting all the pictures that I have from the mock draft on the YouTube version of this podcast so if you're watching on YouTube you're going to be able to follow along nicely to what I'm talking about in terms of each draft each mock draft that I did, you'll be able to see the trades that I made, the grades, and just about everything that I'm talking about and I'm seeing on your screen as well. So if you want to have more of a visual, go check out the YouTube version of episode 42, and you'll be able to follow along just nicely. If the audio version is what you're looking for and you're content with just hearing my voice yabbering and yabbering about it, then let's just keep it moving, all right? So moving over to the sixth mock draft, um... This one was a doozy. This one was a doozy. I really made a lot of trades in this draft. I was really trying to, like I said, move up, move down, be very um, flexible and fluctuating a lot here. So ah, this this one was tough. I took Patrick Sertain, cornerback from Alabama, 12th overall, where I actually move up from 15, trading with the Falcons. I give them 15 and 197, and I get 12. I got a C-plus grade there, and I get a C for taking Sertain. I, if I remember correctly, all five quarterbacks were gone. Kyle Pitts, Micah Parsons, all three wide receivers, Jamar Chase, um, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle were all gone. Caleb Farley was gone too. I was like, whoa, 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 slow, slow, slow down. I'm not trying to take an offensive tackle here. Because um, I think, um, what's his name? Uh, Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern offensive lineman, was still on the board. Um, Christian Darishaw from Virginia Tech was still on the board. And I was like, I, I'm not looking for this. So I just made the trade, get a lockdown cornerback. You know, in the green, grand scheme of things, if Jackson and Gilmore come back for 2021, might not be the best move, but this is absolutely a future move. Then I trade the Chiefs 46 overall for 63, 94, and a fifth round in 2022. I got an A- there. And then with the pick that I moved back from, I got Kellen Mond, the quarterback from Texas A&M. Got a B-plus there. Jamin Davis at 96, B-plus there. Someone who we haven't talked about yet is Josh Palmer, the wide receiver from Tennessee. He was somebody that I was able to see from rounds 3, 4. 
I don't think I saw him in the fifth round, maybe once or twice, but you know, I got a B plus here to addressing that need. So my first four picks, I addressed cornerback, quarterback, linebacker, and wide receiver, which are probably the four main needs that this team has. And I tried to do that frequently with all these mock drafts, was address those four needs first, and then everything else kind of fell into place. Um, I then took 94 that I got from the Chiefs. I traded that to the Lions to get 101, 112, and then a six-round pick in 2022. I got a B for that draft. Uh, I keep saying draft for that trade. And then Milton Williams here again, C-plus at 112, the D-lineman from uh, Louisiana Tech. I got another wide receiver in Dax Milne, the wide receiver from BYU. So this was one of uh, Zach Wilson's favorite targets this past year at BYU. Zach Wilson's projected to go number two, maybe number three, depending what happens, but probably number two. And, you know, getting one of his guys, you know, if Wilson turns out to be something, hopefully things will kind of show that Milne turns into something himself. Um, <laughs> this one, I got the running back um, from Michigan, Chris Evans. Kind of got him because I was in a pinch at that spot, and I just traded um, 122 to the Falcons, and I got this pick from the Falcons. And I got a second-round pick as well for 2022, so I felt like that was a good fleecing right there. Moving back 26 or so picks, get a second-round pick as well. But I kind of took Chris Evans, the running back, because of, you know, um, Steve Rogers, Captain America from Marvel. <laughs> I don't really know what else to tell you there. But overall, um, A- minus for this draft. You know, like you can see a couple here, trades. I trade 188 and 242 to move up at 155. I trade 177 to the Vikings for 199 and a third-round pick in 2023. And then I give the Rams... Um, pick 120 for a second round pick in 2022 so really trying to maneuver move up move down really think ahead and think about the future at the same time like i said a minus for this trade uh, for this draft one of my favorite drafts entire entirely because i address things i make trades i move up move down all that good stuff number seven all right first time Devontae Smith finally falls to us at number 15. I don't think he will in real life, but he was there. I had to do it. Um, then the 25th pick in the draft, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars' second first-round pick that they got from the Rams for the Jalen Ramsey trade. I give them 46, 120, and 188 for that pick. I got a grade of C, which was um, whatever. And I go out and get Greg Newsom the second for the cornerback from Northwestern. I got a B for that pick. So I address quarterback. I address wide receiver as well. And I really feel like, you know, that was a good move all the way around. But, you know, their grading system didn't think so. Then, then I trade my 96th overall pick and the 139th pick to the Colts to move up to 54. Also receiving 206. I got an A- minus for that trade. And I walk away with Kellen Mond in the second round here. Felt like that was a trade I need to take because I don't know how much further he was going to fall. And I did not want to wait until the third round to pick him up. I got a B-plus for taking Mond there. Then I trade 122 to the Tennessee Titans where I get a second round pick in 2022. And I only move back four spots. Complete fleecing of the Titans, but I walk away with a B-plus grade. Makes zero sense. Um, I get Justin Hiller, the linebacker from Ohio State, where I trade the Steelers 126, and I get 128 back, moving back two spots. 
well, I guess three spots if you want to count, what, 26, 7, 8, whatever. And I also get a third-round pick in 2023, but I only get a B grade. Absolute fleecing. I only walk away with a B grade. Ugh, whatever. Uh, at the end of the day, I got an A for this one. I really like this one, too, this draft as well. I, you know, move up, I move down. Uh, Kairis Tonga, the uh, D lineman from BYU, um, he was the third D lineman that I was talking about beforehand that, you know, I kind of saw frequently in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. So I was able to snag him at 179, getting a B plus grade. Overall, like I said, this is an A draft. I feel like it should have been higher, especially the trades, but I will take it nonetheless, addressing all my needs with my first four picks per usual. As we look at the eighth mock draft on the home stretch, we only got three left. You can see if you're watching on YouTube, I get Mac Jones at 15. False me at 15. I take him A plus grade. I get Diami Brown, the wide receiver from North Carolina, B plus. Then I get Kelvin Joseph, the cornerback from Kentucky, which is a C plus pick there. But in order to get him, I had to move up. I traded 96 and 242 to the football team for 82 and 246 there. Really feel like, you know, I didn't lose too much. I only moved um, four spots back in the seventh round, and I was able to jump 14 spots. So it was a trade well worth it for me. But I only get a B- minus from this, which was very questionable. Um, I took Jamin Davis uh, with my 87th pick that I got from the Steelers, where I trade them 122 and 246. I got a B minus for that trade, but I'll take it because I get my linebacker. Um, again, I address my top four needs. I get Milton Williams again, the D lineman from Louisiana Tech at 120. And then I, I made one more trade with the Tennessee Titans. I get 139. Oh, I give them 139, excuse me. And I get 166 and a third round pick in 2022 in return. I walk away with a B grade there. Didn't make many trades in this one. I only made three. I really wanted to slow this one down a little bit, just try to see what would look more natural in terms of people or teams staying still in the draft. But at the end of the day, I walk away with an A- minus for this mock draft, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Not a lot of movement, but it just you know felt right to kind of slow things down a little bit. Whew. All right, two more. Number nine. Again, we see Mac Jones there, 15, from the quarterback from Alabama. Very, very good pick there, you know, consistently getting an A+, plus, you know, two times in a row now. Then a couple picks go by later, and I still see Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama, at 18. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. The Dolphins have a quarterback. I believe in this draft they drafted Jamar Chase, I believe. They already got cornerbacks. I'm like, all right, let's try to make a move here. Um, Brian Flores, Bill Belichick, they're buddies. So I give them 46 and 120, and I get 18 in return, B-minus grade, but I think it was well worth it because I was able to take Patrick Sertain, um, cornerback from Alabama. I got an A for taking him there, and I think Mac Jones and Sertain, you know, huge, huge um, draft picks there, 15 and 18 respectively. I make a couple more trades with the Cardinals, the Bears, and the Steelers, just maneuvering and finagling some picks, moving up, moving down, getting more picks, moving them around. Um, I get Jamin Davis at 55. I tried to take him a little earlier this time. Um, got a C-plus for that. It is what it is. Um, then I make another trade with the Jets, moving back up into 66, where I get Cade Johnson, the wide receiver from South Dakota State, which was 
or I guess kind of is uh, um, Trey Lance's favorite target. So, you know, I go out and I try to get Zach Wilson's favorite target. Then I try to go out and get Kate Johnson, who is Trey Lance's favorite target. And I got a B plus there. Couple more trades that, you know, kind of occur. Nothing really flashy. Milton Williams, you know, I kind of mentioned him, B plus. Josh Palmer, who I was able to, you know, I mentioned before from Tennessee. He drops to 139 where I take him. And Jamar, uh, Jamar Jefferson, the running back from Oregon State, I get him again late in the draft, getting a B plus there just in case, you know, the, the running back room could be, you know, looking different come next year. So overall, I got an A for this draft. I really like this one. Um, I was really able to finagle and maneuver those picks like I mentioned, you know, taking a pick, moving back a couple spots, getting more picks, taking that pick, moving it back a couple spots, getting more picks, just really trying to package a bunch of things up to push forward or to push back. You know, it was really enjoyable trading a bunch of these picks in this mock draft. But here we go. The final, the final mock draft. Okay, last one, guys. Bear with me please <laughs> so Michael Parsons and Mac Jones are both on the board when it comes to 15 and I'm thinking to myself if I'm Bill Belichick and I'm Patriot Nation who do I want I would probably say a lot of people wanted Mac Jones earlier in the offseason but you know as things kind of go around I'd probably say that Patriots should take Micah Parsons so I took Micah Parsons I waited a couple more picks and at this point, I've realized that Mac Jones fell to 19 to the Washington football team a couple times, like I mentioned. And I stopped the Dolphins, and I was like, yo, let's make a trade happen here. Let's make something work. So I trade them my first round pick next draft and 122 for 18 overall. I got an A for that grade. Then I go out and select Mac Jones at 18. I get an A plus for that pick. I'm like, whoa, all right. I'm like, oh, yeah. So then, 40, so I didn't even have to move 46, which was my second round pick, which was the nice thing. I could have moved that and maybe like another second or third round pick. But, you know, in terms of reality, probably not going to be able to get 18 from the Dolphins or really, you know, from anybody without moving another first round pick. So I then here comes 46, and I trade that to the Las Vegas Raiders. And I got a first-round pick in uh, 2022, plus 162 overall. I got a B for that grade. So I kind of take my first-round pick, which I would hope and expect would be late in the first-round pick, to get another first-round pick that I would hope would be you know in the mid-rounds, depending on how good Vegas does. But I really think that was a win-win, bang-bang all the way around. You get your quarterback by only trading 122 and... Uh, 122, 162, and then that second round pick, 46, while you get to move up in the first round next year, almost, or hopefully, right? Jamin Davis, again, 96, linebacker from Kentucky, got a B-plus there. I move up from to 103 to take Kelvin Joseph, the cornerback from Kentucky. I traded the 139, 177 with the Rams to move up there. You see Josh Palmer here, the wide receiver from Tennessee that I was able to select. So the first five picks. Linebacker, quarterback, linebacker, cornerback, wide receiver. Bang, 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 bang. Uh, really nice pickings. I felt like I got Richard Wild Goose, the cornerback from Wisconsin, and got a B plus. But that was, and that was in the trade of moving 
my 46th overall pick to the uh, Raiders for the uh, future first, and I got that pick, and that's who I took with that pick in that trade. Um, the last trade that I made was with the Colts, where I give them 197. I moved back nine spots to 206, but I get a 2022 seventh round and a 2023 sixth round pick. Thinking ahead, moving something that I don't really need, and just kind of moving on. Overall, I got an A for this draft. Um, I really felt comfortable. I really liked what I did here. Absolutely plausible. You're starting to hear a little bit of news and stuff that the Patriots might trade back into the first round to either select a quarterback or someone that has slipped in the draft after they've taken their guy at 15, whoever that may be. (sighs) All right. That was a lot. That was a lot. Bear with me. Bear with me. i got one more segment. I have in front of me, which I'm going to express to all of you right now, my my personal first-round mock draft. Now, I'm only going to go over the first 15 picks because, you know, I don't want to spoil all the beans yet. And I can release my full first-round mock draft if enough people want it, if enough people request it. But... Right now, I'm only going to go over the first 15 because the Patriots are at 15, and that's essentially half the draft. So, number one, quarterback Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson to Jacksonville Jaguars. No surprise there. Number two, quarterback Zach Wilson from BYU. No doubt there. Quarterback Justin Fields, Ohio State to the 49ers. Um, A lot of speculation that that could be Mac Jones, that could be Justin Fields. We just don't know. Um, If the 49ers go with a quarterback, you can expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be on the move somewhere, somehow. Number four, the Atlanta Falcons. With what just happened, they're going to take quarterback Trey Lance, who's kind of, you know, the project quarterback out of the group of those five. They still have Matt Ryan under a big contract with a lot of guaranteed money. So you start Matt Ryan this year or next year. You let Trey Lance kind of learn and develop. And then come the third year, you move on from Matt Ryan. And Trey Lance is your quarterback. Good to go. Number five, offensive tackle Panay Sewell. Out of Oregon to Cincinnati. Got to protect Joe Burrow. Number six, the Miami Dolphins select tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida. Um, He is, in my projection, the first offensive um, weapon to go off the board outside of quarterback and I think Miami could really use a tight end such as himself there you throw him alongside with um, Mike Jacecki who's you know he is what it is he is what he is but then you got Devontae Parker as well and that offense is starting to look a little bit better I would not be surprised if they go out and get a wide receiver whether it's Chase Smith or even Jalen Waddle. but I think Kyle Pitts is the best receiver out of those group out of the group of those four although he is a tight end. Um, Speaking of Jamar Chase, I have him going number seven to the Detroit Lions. Uh, Number eight, questionable. You would think this would be a quarterback, but, you know, all four four quarterbacks so far are gone. The Panthers just traded for Sam Darnold, who they're probably going to want to be their quarterback moving forward. So I have them taking Devontae Smith, the wide receiver out of Alabama. You lose Curtis Samuel. You bring in Sam Darnold. You have uh, Robbie Anderson still. You have DJ Moore still. But give your new franchise quarterback a franchise weapon, and that is Devontae Smith. Number nine, the Denver Broncos take cornerback Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. They need to bolster and fix that defense if they want to hang and tang with the Chiefs in that division. You could, They could easily take Patrick Sertain here, 
who I actually have going to the Dallas Cowboys at 10. I could see Farley and Sertain flip-flop you know, between the Broncos and Cowboys very easily. Number 11, um, the Giants are taking offensive lineman Rashawn Slater, who I kind of mentioned a little bit before. Uh, they need to kind of protect Daniel Jones. They got Kenny Galladay, so there's no need for a wide receiver. They got the tight end Evan Ingram. They got Saquon coming back, so um, help Saquon in the running game. Help protect Dan, uh, Danny Dimes. I think Slater's a good pick here. Number 12, Jalen Waddle going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts is their guy. They've kind of struck out on past two first rounds with wide receivers. Hopefully third year is the charm. Could I see them go in a different direction here? Potentially, if one of those two cornerbacks fall, I could see that happening as well. But I think they're going to go offense here, although they're def- they have defensive needs. Uh, 13, the Los Angeles Chargers taking offensive tackle Christian Darashaw. I really think that they need an offensive lineman, specifically a tackle one way or another, whether they trade up to get Panay Sewell, whether he falls back, whether Rashawn Slater is there. I think they need to get an offensive tackle to protect Justin Herbert. He had a great, phenomenal rookie season, but to help him stay healthy, to help that running game, and you need to protect him. So I feel like that's where they're going to go there. 14, the Minnesota Vikings also take an offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. They need to protect Kirk Cousins in that running game. They already got two stud wide receivers in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson plus Dalvin Cook in the backfield, so there's really not too many offensive needs there. If they want to go defense, they could take Micah Parsons, but is there need on defense, or specifically the middle linebacker position? No, because they have, um, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Uh, Anthony Barr and and uh, Kendrick, Eric, Eric Kendrick, yeah. So they have those two linebackers, so there's really no need for them to take Micah Parsons at 14. Protect your quarter, protect, protect your quarterback, excuse me, protect your running game, and help your passing game um, strive. Speaking of Micah Parsons, I do have him falling to 15 at New England Patriots. Um, Perfect pickup for the Patriots. I really see this happening, especially with the team needs that are in front of them. I think it would be stupid to trade up unless they're really sold on a quarterback. And if you've been following along with my first-round mock draft, though it's been a little fast, you would have noticed that I didn't say Mac Jones. Because if he doesn't go to Atlanta uh, or at San Francisco, excuse me, at number three, I think he's going to fall out completely. And if he does go to number three to San Francisco, Justin Fields could absolutely go to a team uh, like Denver or even like uh, the Patriots. So it's really going to be interesting to see what happens because... You know, with San Francisco moving up, that kind of shows you that they want a new quarterback. Could they take someone else? Sure. Be kind of pointless, you know, especially trading what you traded to go up to number three. Ah, there's so much going on. It's really interesting to really just dive in and break it all down. Let's see. Jacksonville's going to take a quarterback. The Jets will take one. The 49ers more than likely will. Falcons will take one. There's four quarterbacks gone. Bengals don't need one. Dolphins shouldn't take one because they still have Tua. The Detroit Lions, they could take a quarterback, but I think they have a bigger need at wide receiver because Jared Goff will do okay for now, and you could probably address the quarterback need in a year or two. Uh, Panthers just got a quarterback, so they don't need one anymore. Help your quarterback out. Broncos and the Cowboys both have bigger issues on defense, 
You could see a quarterback go to Denver if there's one available. That would be basically them giving up on Drew Locke at that point. So that's kind of why I left Mac Jones out of the top 15. And just for fun, I'll tell you where I think Mac Jones is going to go on my first round mock draft. And that is to 19 to the Washington football team. If Mac Jones doesn't go number three to the 49ers, I really think that he will fall all the way down to 19. And for those that want to see my full first round mock draft, if enough people request it, I will release it on social media, on YouTube, wherever I can put it, I will put it there. But guys, I know this was a really long episode. I thank you so much for listening all the way through. And if you have done so this far, reach out to me on Twitter and on Instagram. Like the video, comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. Let me know that you listened to this whole thing because a lot of information I just spewed at you, whether it was talking about the Sox, Bruins, or Celtics early or diving deep into the mock drafts that I did and kind of going over my personal first-round mock draft, or at least half of it, I should say. So thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. I know this is a super long one, but this is one that's well overdue and that I needed to dive into ASAP because like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode, the mock, uh, <laughs> the mock, the real draft is less than two weeks away. It is Thursday, April 29th. That is 13 days away from Friday, which is today. Um, I don't have my phone. I kind of threw because it kept vibrating. Um, what's today's date? The 16th? Yeah, 16th. Um, we have a lot to talk about in terms of the Patriots and what they're going to do in the draft. So I really wanted to mention this now before it was too late. So everybody, like I said, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. Reach out to me on social media. Comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. Let me know what you think about literally anything that I talked about. Whether it was the Sox, the Bruins, the Celtics, uh, a mock draft, a pick that I took in the mock draft. Or maybe you're going to kind of pick apart my personal first round mock draft and you should think or I should think that Mike Parsons is going to go in the top 10 tell me why I want to know why you know if, if any of this is wrong and you don't think it's right let me know I love everyone that's you know reaching out to me already giving me their thoughts it's really helping the show out and I greatly appreciate that guys thank you so much for joining me I love every single one of you but this is going to wrap it up for this episode have a phenomenal weekend. Try to stay dry. Try to stay warm. Hopefully, warm weather is coming soon. I hate this cold. It reminds me of winter. It's abysmal. It's miserable. But like I said, I'll see you in the next one. I love you. See ya.